Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. A Texan has been reappointed to the National Sorghum Checkoff Board. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. It appears that 2020 will end as a much drier than normal year here in the coastal bend. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. Staying safe during the remaining holiday season. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. A Texan has been reappointed to the Sorghum Checkoff Board. During the checkoff's annual meeting, held virtually, Charles Ray Huddleston of Salina was reappointed to the board to represent Texas. He was also elected to serve as the board's vice chairman. Ken Martin of Oklahoma was elected as board chair. The Chekhov's board works to increase shared value, enhance opportunities for producer profitability, and advance demand for sorghum. Registration is now open for the American Farm Bureau Federation's first-ever virtual convention. Because the event will be held online, registration fees are being waived. You can register at fb.org. That is fb.org. fb.org. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is adding six new cities to the list of locations that will have FSA county committees focused on urban agriculture. Only one Texas city is on the list, Dallas. The Farm Service Agency says having these committees is part of a broader effort directed by the 2018 Farm Bill to enhance support for urban agriculture. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey said the six county committees will provide input and priorities unique to the opportunities and challenges of farming in urban environments. The committees will work to encourage and promote urban, indoor, and other emerging agricultural practices. FSA will begin accepting nominations for the new committees in June. U.S. farm tractor and combine sales grew in November, according to a new report from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. U.S. total farm tractor sales rose 41 percent in November compared to the same time last year. Self-propelled combine sales were up 33 percent. Four-wheel drive tractor sales in the U.S. nearly doubled in November. According to AEM, sales of four-wheel drive tractors were up 91.4 percent. Year-to-date sales are up 4.7 percent. Sales of 100-plus horsepower tractors were up 24.2 percent in November and up 1.2 percent year-to-date. Total year-to-date farm tractor sales were up 16.4 percent, while year-to-date combine sales were up 6.4 percent in November. 
For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmull. 2020 will go down as a very dry year for most of Texas, including the coastal bend. Harvey Buring has more from Corpus Christi. Unless Santa brings a couple of good rainfall events here before 2020 comes to the end, rainfall deficits of 6 to 10 inches below normal could be a reality for many locations here in the Coastal Bend area. But it's still time to improve that situation before New Year arrives, and I know that a lot of farmers and ranchers have a good soaking rain at the top of their holiday wish list this year. Well, the Corpus Christi Classing Office uh, shows some slowdown in bale sample receipts. They're currently receiving bale samples from only 12 out of the 50 gins that they service in Central and South Texas. And it looks like they're going to be at the 1,750,000 bale mark somewhere around the time they get ready for the Christmas holiday break. Now, those farmers in the area that would like to earn some CEUs, there's an opportunity coming up on January the 7th with the Extension Crop Symposium. It'll be a virtual event this year, a webinar that'll be conducted at the Extension office, but it will require some advanced registration no in-person participation all over the Internet. And you can get complete details on how you can earn five hours of CEUs or possibly six hours if you participate in the early bird oxen training seminar that will be held at 7.30 that morning via the Internet. Contact the Nueces County Extension Office for more details on the Field Crops Symposium webinar. This is Harvey Beering reporting from the Coastal Bend area for Texas Ag Today. Wheat exports have picked up here at the end of the year, helping to boost prices to around $6. Dave Milligan is president of the National Association of Wheat Growers. He says the phase one trade deal with China has been a big help. China's been a bad actor, and I think we've addressed a lot of those issues. And phase one looks like it's working to our benefit now, so... Yeah, I think we've got some positives. Milligan says the USMCA has also improved our access to markets, with Mexico currently being the number one market for U.S. wheat, and we now have better access to the Canadian market. Using urea as a nitrogen source can be a bit tricky, especially here in Texas, but a product from Nutrien is making urea a lot more user-friendly. Nutrien's Doug Sibbett says it's called ESN Smart Nitrogen. ESN stands for environmentally smart nitrogen. So what it is, is it's a protection. It's a physical barrier around urea. And so it offers protection for that nitrogen investment for that farmer for 50 to 80 days. Sibbett says soil temperature and moisture causes a slow release of nitrogen from the pellet. What we call it is a controlled release. So when we have little to no moisture, that release slows down. When those soil temperatures drop, which you won't have in Texas as much, but when they drop, that release slows down as well. So it's more of a controlled uh, release. And it will last from 50 to 80 days. Sibbett says it's a great product to use on winter wheat, corn, cotton, and pastures. You can check your local nutrient retail outlet for availability. 
Although we're being encouraged to stay home for the holidays, it's a given that we're still going to be traveling some to visit friends and family. Tom Nicoletti visits with a Waco physician for some advice on traveling during this COVID-era Christmas. With this being Christmas week and uh, the following week, of course, New Year's, people will be making decisions on what they're going to do for the remainder of the holidays in 2020, whether they uh, stay home or travel. That's their personal decision. The Centers for Disease Control is highly recommending that people do not travel during the coronavirus uh, pandemic, but people will be traveling. And uh, so we are going to Dr. James Sharp, a Waco physician, to talk more about uh, what they should do while they're traveling. And doctor, uh, what are those precautions? And uh, we're talking about it's going to be safer to travel by vehicle than by airplane. So if people are going to be traveling by vehicle, what's the first line of precautions that they need to keep in mind? Well, Tom, the the same things we've been talking about all year long are the best defense we have for any interaction with people outside our own home. And that is the frequent hand washing, uh, wearing a, a good quality mask, and social distancing. You know, six feet apart from other people, as much fresh air you can get, the better. I I do think the CDC is looking for our best interest when they say, please don't travel, please don't get together with large groups of people, because that's probably your first defense against this. But if you are going to travel, I think there are certainly ways that we can mitigate our risks. And some traveling situations, like if you're traveling by your own car down to say the coast, really all you're going to do is whoever's traveling with you, and then you stop and get gasoline or go to the restroom, stop someplace to eat. Each of those times are very minimal exposures to other people. So you want to wear your mask there, you're going to wash your hands, and as much as you can, you're going to keep your distance from other people. If you're flying or some other forms of mass transit, say buses or trains, it's very... essentially impossible to socially distance. But you can still wear your mask. And if you're touching surfaces, you can you can use a hand sanitizer to clean your hands. Try to avoid putting your finger, uh, you know, bringing your finger or hands up into your mouth or touching your eyes because that's a second step direct contact. If you're flying especially or other mass transit, you should consider changing your clothing once you arrive at the destination and can socially isolate again before you arrive at your uh, family or friend's home just as a way to limit how much of the germs you might be carrying from that transportation into their home. But I would cite, just, just as evidence of how effective masks can be, is that study where two hairstylists were sick, this is back in May, they were sick enough that they actually were deemed to have had symptoms of COVID. It was unrecognized for a time. They, they actually served 140 clients cutting their hair, but their clients were wearing masks and they were wearing masks, and I presume doing proper hand hygiene at the same time. And as far as anybody could tell, none of those 140 people contracted the COVID virus from them. That's pretty impressive because that's close contact. You know, I I think that just speaks volumes for how effective the masks can be. That is Waco physician Dr. James Sharp. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network drought in the Texas Panhandle is impacting goose hunting opportunities. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And feeding an overweight performance horse can be difficult, but Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Dan, we're 
We're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Feeding an overweight performance horse can definitely be a challenge, but veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice on how to handle it. A horse in lean body condition will perform better than one that is overweight as increased weight reduces the horse's ability to cool themselves and increases the risk of laminitis. Dr. Megan Shepard indicated at the AAEP meeting that to determine how to feed your performance horse, you must determine the level of work from very light work to very heavy work, as this determines the nutrition the horse needs. Next, it is important to determine the current weight and then the ideal weight. A good option is to score the horse on a body condition scale where one is extremely thin, five is normal, and nine is extremely overweight. In general, each body score value equals about 50 pounds, depending on the frame of the horse. So if you have an 1,100-pound quarter horse at a BCS of 7, the horse would need to lose about 100 pounds to get to a BCS of 5. If the horse needs to lose weight, we always start with forage as the major portion of the diet and then add concentrates or other feed if necessary. Most performance horses can be maintained on forage alone if they are in light work, and the horse can be fed forage at a rate of 1.5% body weight to lose weight. For a 1,000-pound horse, that would be about 15 pounds of forage per day. The amount of calories, protein, and other ingredients vary depends on the quality of the hay, and having the hay analyzed will allow you to be more accurate in determining the correct amount of food. By adding in a ration balancer or a vitamin mineral supplement, you can maintain an overweight performance horse on mostly forage, allow weight loss to occur, and still compete without large amounts of concentrates. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Drought in the Texas Panhandle is impacting goose hunting opportunities there. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. Texas goose hunting season is now open. Kevin Cry, waterfowl program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, gives us a hunting forecast for the high plains and rolling plains. For those that are living in the high plains and the rolling plains of Texas, mostly dominated by what we call dark geese, a combination of Canada geese and white-fronted geese, commonly known as speckle bellies. The seasons have been very good thus far, and we expect it to continue throughout the end of the season. It is very, very dry in the panhandle of Texas right now. Most of the available water right now is inside the urban areas, if you will. So most of the cities, small towns of the Texas Panhandle have city parks, have ponds, and then they have their fluid ponds. And these small Canada geese that typically visit the Texas Panhandle that are attracted to the Playa wetlands that are very abundant in that landscape have now adapted and have taken very abundantly to these urban ponds. You go inside the city of Amarillo or Lubbock right now, and there's literally tens of thousands of these small Canada geese 
uh, roosting in those uh, on those ponds, and they fly out to the fields outside the city limits most days, twice a day. And so uh, hunters are still, even though it's very dry, hunters are still being very successful in targeting those birds there. And as you move south into the Rolling Plains, there's an area in north of Abilene that has a very, very large population, mostly dominated by white-fronted geese. And it's a lot wetter there. And the, the population is doing very well there. And hunters are doing quite well. That was Kevin Cry with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We're now into the holiday type of trade where things get a bit slow and quiet. However, that was not necessarily the case on Monday. COVID-19 news affected the markets, especially the cotton market. We'll take a look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We should be into the holiday type of trade now in our markets. Usually a lot of traders take this last couple of weeks off and things get kind of slow and quiet. However, we do sometimes see volatile markets during this slow and quiet time because it doesn't take a whole lot to move the markets. And that was the case on Monday. News came out of a new strain of COVID-19 in England that put big pressure on the markets early in the trading day. The financial markets dropped sharply. We also saw our cotton and grain markets drop sharply. However, most of the markets recovered except for cotton. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, let's start with the livestock markets. We closed mixed in live cattle, higher on feeder cattle. December live cattle up 12 cents at 110. 1060. February live cattle down 20, 114.65. The April up 5, 118.70. Feeder cattle mostly higher. January feeders up 17 at 140.62. March feeders up 82, 143.12. April feeder cattle up 85 cents, 144.75. Cash fed cattle trade at a standstill on Monday as we usually see. We wrapped up last week selling fed cattle from 105 to 108. No bids reported from the packers. No asking prices so far from the feedlots. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday. Choice up $1.66 to $10.29. Select up $2.57 at $196.84. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. We'll start up in the Panhandle. Tulia Livestock Auction, Tulia, Texas, selling 972 head last week. Stocker steers and heifers sold two to six dollars higher. Yearling steers and heifers sold steady. Medium and large frame number one feeder steers weighing four to five hundred pounds brought a dollar fifty-seven to a dollar seventy-five a pound. Five to six weight steers a dollar thirty-seven to a dollar fifty-six. 
six to seven hundred pounders a dollar twenty nine to a dollar forty five seven to eight weight steers a dollar eighteen to a dollar thirty five and the heavy eight to nine hundred pounders brought a dollar fifteen to a dollar twenty five a pound now to Central Texas, Lampasas Livestock Auction in Lampasas, Texas, 558 heads sold last week. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, $1.40 to $1.65 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.37 to $1.83. Four to 500 pounders, $1.36 to $1.72. Five to six weight steers, $1.18 to $1.54. Six to 700 pounders, $1.11 to $1.30. And the seven to eight weight steers brought 95 cents to $1.15 a pound. Slaughter cows range from 10 to 54 cents. Slaughter bulls 37 to 82. Stocker cows 550 to 1150 ahead. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed higher. February hogs up 12, 65.92. April lean hogs up 7 at $70 even. Class 3 milk slightly higher. January milk up 8 cents, 15.64 a hundredweight. As we mentioned earlier, the news of a new strain of COVID-19 put big pressure on the cotton market. It did not recover like the financial and grain markets did. Apparently, traders think the cotton market is a bit overbought right now and was due for a correction. So correct, it did. March, cotton down 240 points. 74.76, the May down 235. 75.48, December 21, cotton down 154 points closing at 72.36. Both corn and wheat closing higher. July Kansas City wheat up four and three quarters at 580 and a half. July soft wheat in Chicago up two and a quarter, 606 a bushel. The corn market higher September up two and a quarter, 425 and a quarter. December 21 corn up one and a half at 420 a bushel. Checking the energy markets now, January natural gas unchanged at 270. February crude oil down a dollar 37.89 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 35 points, 30,214. The Nasdaq down 34 at 12,720. The S&P 500 down 17, 3,692. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to check us out tomorrow. We'll be right back here to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'll see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.